moving through that book. Powerful book. Hope you're enjoying it. I know I am. You know, when we dig through the word verse by verse and get a whole book from start to finish, it, it puts something in your spirit that's powerful. You might think, you know, week after week as we sit here and we cover in detail and we dig in, you think, am I getting all of this? And you know what? If your brain's like my brain, no. But the Holy Spirit puts it deep in our spirits, amen? He puts it in the good ground of our hearts. So it's in there. And you can withdraw from the well of what the Holy Spirit's tucked into your heart. And so uh, we're here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, we've been going through verses uh, 5 through 18. Uh, I wonder, I'm going to start in verse 5 here in just a minute. Let's, let's just thank God for the word and then we'll jump in. Lord, we thank you tonight for the word. We thank you that worship prepares us for the word. Lord, I pray that our hearts have been plowed up and our spirits have been opened up and our minds are ready to soak in everything you want to tuck into our spirits tonight. So Holy Spirit, let the word come alive to us and let it change us from the inside out. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Well, we started off last week looking at this chapter and we got into the marks of the ministry and Paul listed a bunch of the marks of the ministry. Basically, the things you could expect if you were gonna go into frontline ministry like Paul was in. I'm gonna pick up in verse five here. And uh, I'll keep reading until I feel like stopping, so hang in there. In beatings, in imprisonments, in mob attacks, in labors, in sleepiness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, the marks of the ministry, in the word of truth and in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarding being regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying yet behold, we are alive. Paul's showing the, the, the back and forth, the left and right, the up and down here. As punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. Those are the marks of ministry, but those are the marks of the Christian life as well. And we're going to move through that passage there that I just covered pretty quickly, but we're going to take our time in verse 11 to the end here. It says, Our mouth has spoken freely to you, Paul speaking with his companions. Our, heart, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in the same way, exchange, I am speaking as to children, open wide your hearts to us as well. Do not be mismatched or unequally yoked, the King James says, with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and lawlessness share together? Or what does light have in common with darkness? Or what harmony does Christ have with Baal? Or what does a believer share with an unbeliever? Or what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. Listen, an Old Testament quote here. I will dwell among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from the midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch the unclean thing. And I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. 
So a lot going on in there. We're going we're gonna to cover all of that by God's grace tonight. Last week, we talked about that list of the marks of the ministry. There were things that Paul found as commonalities in the ministry, but there are also things that we're going to experience as Christians walking after the purposes of God. We noted the essential character trait for navigating all of these things. You heard beatings, imprisonments, mob attacks, labor, sleeplessness, hunger, on and on. The, 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 the ingredient we need first is endurance. When you listen to that list, you might think to yourself, who could endure that? Who wants to endure that? And the thing is, with, with, without God, without the Holy Spirit, without the purpose of God in our lives, it's impossible to endure what it takes to be a Christian. When Jesus said things to his disciples about being saved, they would, they would freak out, and they were like, well, who can be saved? And he'd be like, well, you know, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Endurance comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from having a relationship with God. The closer we get to him, the more the Spirit helps us to endure all of these things that we face in our Christian walk. How many have been serving God for a pretty long time? Raise your hand. Have you endured some crazy stuff? Come on, talk back to me. In fact, if you think about what you endured, do you think if you went back you could do it over again? I'm like, some of those things, I'm like, I don't think I can make it through that this time. Anybody, but the grace was there for the minute, and his grace is sufficient. So come through a lot of things, and it's by endurance. Now, verses 5 through 10 in that section contain the rest of the list. We went over them, you know, we read them tonight. We're going to give you a quick overview. Uh, let me just read it one more time. In beatings, imprisonment, and mob attacks, that's not like Tony Soprano, that's you know, Paul got into these situations where he's preaching the gospel where the mob would turn on him. And they would attack him and they beat him, they stone him, they did all kinds of things to him. He went through that in labors and sleeplessness and hunger and purity and knowledge and patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth and in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, listen to the comparisons, in evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown, and it goes on, and, and, and we've heard them, and they're hard to swallow, but what I want you to know there is that Paul experienced these things, these ups and downs, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you know what? We need to expect that in our walk, we're going to experience some of those too, Maybe not all of those, maybe not all of what he went through. You know, there was an apostle Paul, and I'm not him, and neither are you. So we can't think, well, I got to check off every one of these boxes. No, the point is that we need endurance to endure whatever comes our way, and it's going to be different for all of us. But we need to understand it's part of the Christian walk. It shouldn't throw us. It shouldn't confuse us. It shouldn't make us question God or if he's with us. But we should understand that as we endure, we get closer to God. And as we get closer to God, we get more endurance. So verses 11 through 12 continue here uh, out of that list of the marks of the ministry. It says, our mouth has spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. That's powerful. Verse 12, you are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Let's unpack that tonight. Paul never wanted to elevate himself over others. And I think that's a good thing for us to grab tonight. You know, in the world, people love to elevate themselves over other people. If you have a boss that's, you know, doesn't have good character, they like to make sure they, they, they let you know every once in a while that you're under their thumb. 
Come on, anyone had a boss like that? Or you get someone who's, you know, maybe just a fellow worker, gets a little promotion, yet all of a sudden they turn into Napoleon. And they got to, you know, they got to tell everybody their title and they got to flex their authority and they got to make everybody know. That, that, that doesn't work in the kingdom of God. The higher you climb up the proverbial ladder or the food chain, the more you have to be a servant. It's servant leadership, and we need humility. And Paul was humble. He never wanted to, uh, he never wanted to lord over others. He didn't want to elevate himself over others. He didn't want to be the morality and ethics police, and that's what he's saying. He's like, I, I didn't restrain you. You're restrained by your own affections. Let's, let's, we're going to take a look at that. But he wanted to have a mutual exchange with his brothers and sisters in the Lord. And if the apostle Paul could be humble enough to do that, that's exactly the attitude we should have. We should want to connect and commune with our brothers and sisters and have a mutual exchange. That's part of fellowship. When we get together after church and we're talking and we're chatting and we're just connecting, make sure you have a mutual exchange with people. Do you ever get with people that all they want to do is talk about themselves and tell you their problems and it's a monologue? And if you, if you try to get in there, they'll, they'll be like, uh, uh, wait a minute, hang on, and I'm not finished yet, or I don't start talking. And they, they'll cut you off. Mutual exchange. Come on, some rules for fellowship here. So Paul didn't elevate himself, neither should we. He didn't want to be the morality and ethics police for people. He, he wanted the Holy Spirit to do that, and he wanted to have a mutual exchange with his brothers and sisters. He says, our mouth has spoken freely. That's an interesting thing to say. He, he was completely honest and transparent with them, and you know, that's exactly what we should be with others. We've been given the gospel with no pretense, with no hidden messages. Paul preached it to them just like it was, and he let them choose for themselves. Complete honesty is the only foundation for sincere ministry. Getting this tonight? You want to affect others? You want to lead others to Christ? You want to build bridges with the lost and see them saved? You got to be honest. You got to be transparent. Come on, Wednesday night. You can't pretend you got it all together. You can't act like you're perfect. You can't look down on others. No, they're going to smell right through that, and they're going to see you're not authentic, and they're not going to want to believe a thing you say about the Lord. These are things that we extract from Paul's ministry, and the fact that he says our mouth has spoken freely, so it's honesty, it's transparency. That's the foundation of his ministry. It's the foundation of all ministry that's effective. You can be sure that people who are evasive and manipulative and, uh, you know, they, they want to keep secrets and they have a secret agenda that's self-serving, you can be sure that they're not going to do much good in the kingdom of God. Our hearts are wide open. So our mouth spoke freely. He talks about what's coming out of his mouth. Then he, he goes under the hood. Hey, what's in my heart? Our hearts are open wide. Paul speaking about him and his companions and the leadership in the New Testament church. Not only did the apostle come to them in honesty and transparency, but he had a desire to connect with them on an emotional, intimate level. See this? He, he didn't just want to know their names. He didn't just want to have influence over them. He didn't just want to tell them what they should do and flex his apostolic authority. No, our hearts are wide open. Paul wanted to connect with people on an emotional level. Some of us have a problem with this. We're closed off. 
We're closed off to our spouse. We're closed off to our family. We're closed off to our neighbors. We're closed off to God. Do we keep God at arm's length? Do we keep our brothers and sisters at arm's length? Do you keep the pastor at arm's length? Oh, I don't want to get too close to him. I don't want him to see what's going I don't want him to really know me. I, I don't want to really know him. Did you ever hear people say, you know, the worst thing you could do is get to know those you admire? You know, in the world, you think, oh, this is the greatest person, and then you meet them in real life, and they're a jerk. I can't tell you how many times I've known people that have met their heroes and found out they had bad character. See, you and I have to be transparent, have to get to know one another. So if we do have bad character, God can work on it. We can't hide it. So... Our mouths spoke freely, our hearts were wide open. Some people will let you in far enough for them to use you, but not far enough to have a meaningful relationship with you. That's not the way we should operate in the body of Christ. Verse 12 speaks to the fact that I pointed out into the intro. Paul had no desire to, to replace the people's conscience and to restrain them, uh, you know, by his authority or by his ministry. He wanted the Holy Spirit to do that. Look, look what it says. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. This is, this is an important thing for us to learn. You can't be God to other people. We can't be the Holy Spirit to other people. It's not our job to convict other people. Now, iron sharpens iron, and we should be our brother's keeper to a certain degree, but we're not the Holy Spirit. And you know what? There's people in our lives that we try and be God to, and that's not a good thing. Why? Because then they'll become independent on us, and they'll never develop a relationship with God ministries and ministers do this sort of thing. They, they be, they're the end-all and be-all, and they're the know-it-alls, and they got to know everything and have every answer. And, and anytime you have a question, they're going to tell you what to do. You know what? The thing is, we need to, we need to send people to, this, to the prayer closet, to their knees, to connect with the Holy Spirit. Amen. I learned a long time ago, I can't be Jesus to not even a few people, never mind hundreds we've got to allow people to connect with God and to grow up. Paul's, you know, he's saying here, I didn't restrain you. You're restrained in your own affections. What is that? The, the Holy Spirit was restraining them. He was convicting them. He was grooming them and conforming them to the image of Christ. That's the Holy Spirit's job, not ours. So, you know, it's in the inward parts where the Holy Spirit works, and he works on the inside. Anything God does in us, he does from the inside out. The world works on the exterior, the facade. Throw a coat of paint on it. Put some new clothes on it. Put some paint on it. I'll let you ladies figure out what I'm talking about there. But that's the exterior what did Jesus say to the, to the Pharisees? He said, you whitewashed tombs, you sepulchers with dead men's bones inside. Wow, you look good on the outside, guys, but on the inside, you're overcome with moral rot. Ouch. Just Jesus winning friends and influencing people, you know. And this is the point here is that, you know, we need to let the Holy Spirit work on our insides and not worry too much about the exterior because the exterior will change when the inside changes. 
Sometimes we've got to step back and let others learn to hear, to follow, and to just be in tune with the whispers of the Holy Spirit. This is something that parents have to learn with their children. Parents, you can't be Jesus to your children. You can't be God to your children. You can't be the Holy Spirit to your children. You can't, you're not omniscient. You can't always be there. You can't, you can't. And how many will admit that it's hard to step back and let go and just, come on, I'm raising both hands. You love your kids. You, you, you want to be there, but we've got to let God be God to them so they develop a, a, a genuine relationship with him. We can't take the place of God in the spiritual development of other people. Verse 13 is an appeal for the Corinthians to reciprocate in bringing the same things to the table Paul and his team had brought. Listen to verse 13. Now, in the same way, so it's reciprocation, I'm speaking as to children, he's making it really plain, open wide your hearts to us, you as well. So he's saying, we open up our hearts to you, you open up your hearts to us. It's really simple. Let's just reciprocate with each other and have that intimate connection. Paul is preaching to the Corinthians who are pretty pretentious, who are pretty worldly, who are pretty wild. He's telling them, be transparent, be humble, be honest, be genuine, and develop emotional connections with each other. So important tonight. The body of Christ is where we find our strength. Our strength is in each other. Do you know where we're weak when we're isolated? Some of you are going through stuff that nobody knows about. Some of you are going through stuff that you've hid, hidden very well. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Inside, you're a hot mess. How are you today, brother? Oh, I'm under the spout where the glory pours out. <laughs> and meanwhile, you're wrecked inside. We've got to be real with each other. And that only comes by making that emotional connection. I realize if you, if you have a problem with intimacy, if you have a problem with transparency, like some people do, they're a little bit shy, a little bit introverted, th th this is grating against you. I got the old cheese grater going tonight. And that's not, my, that's not my desire. It's just that this is what the word tells us to do. So we should do our best, even if it's uncomfortable, to make emotional connections with others, to have relationship and, and to allow people to connect with us and to know people and to be known. After list, listing all the commonalities and connections that believers should have with each other in verses 14 through 16, Paul points to the fact that these same things do not exist in our relationship with unbelievers. Now, we're going to get into this in a minute, but realize the relationship we have with each other as brothers and sisters, even if we have relationship with people that don't know the Lord and we love them with all our heart, how many people know people, related to people, work with people that are not saved, but you love them with all your heart? Come on. I'm taking note of the people who aren't raising their hands. You know. So, you know, we have connections with unbelievers, and while we love them and we pray for them and we are salt and light to them and at every opportunity we're trying to bring them to Jesus, the relationship we have with them is going to be different in its depth, in its sincerity, in its sweetness than the relationship we have with those who are in Christ. Come on, Wednesday night, give me some feedback. You wilted on me. Thank you, I appreciate that. I might as well take a drink. All right, so it's going to be different here. We're going to have a different connection to the body of Christ than we do to the unsaved in the world. And 
verses 14 through 16, uh, they, they highlight this. Do not be mismatched. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and lawness share together? Or what does light have in common with darkness? Or what harmony? Do you see Paul driving the point home? What harmony does Christ have with Baal? Or what does a believer share with an unbeliever? Or what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. So all of that is in support of the first part of verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Let's talk about this a little bit. It's a very important verse. It can apply in some way to almost every relationship we have in life, not being unequally yoked. And he's specifically talking with unbelievers. I believe it's also possible to a degree to be unequally yoked with, with worldly Christians or nominal Christians. Anybody experience that? Come on, raise your hand if you're in it. Praise God. I mean, you're, and it's not to be haughty or proud, but you're at one level of commitment with the Lord, and, and they're half saved and half in the world. And it's almost like uh, you're uncomfortable with them. You know, and you have to be gracious, and you have to consider where they're at in the Lord. But, you know, there's this sense of being unequally yoked, and that can apply to almost every relationship we have. Um, this verse applies to several areas. Let me cover some. Number one, this verse can apply to business. Having an unsaved business partner can create both conflicts and exposure for the Christian. Be careful who you get in bed with in business. If they're not saved, I don't care how nice they are, how well you know them, when push comes to shove, they might surprise you in the unethical things they'll do. When Christians don't have much ethics, what hope does the world have? When we have the conviction of the Holy Spirit and we blur the lines and push the envelope a lot, come on, let's not look so holy at each other tonight. And then we want to get in business, we want to get in financial situation with an unbeliever. Be very careful. In fact, I bet you I could stop preaching right now, open up the altar and say, everyone who's had a bad experience getting involved financially with an unbeliever, come up here and share a testimony. And we fill up the rest of the time. So this verse about unequally yoked can apply to business. What happens when a non-Christian wants to do things that are unethical, that are immoral, that are in the gray areas? And they're your partner. And they get a vote. And the Holy Spirit's saying, don't do it. This verse can apply to fellowship. Yes, we're to be salt and light. Yes, we're to, you know, reach the lost. But sometimes we've got to be careful how much we hang out with people who are not saved. There's certain places that we shouldn't be with them because the peer group and the peer pressure and the, the spiritual shift is so powerful, it has the ability to influence us and even to make us compromise. You know, a lot of times, uh, it's a lot easier uh, for someone to pull us down than it is for us to pull them up. And, and we think, well, I'm strong. Well, I, you know, I got this under control. I'm delivered. You know, I don't do that anymore. And you're in a place and you're in a bar and you're with the music and everyone's drinking and people are carousing. And all of a sudden, you know, some weakness in your flesh gets tapped. And then the next minute, you know, you've done something that's compromised your, your walk. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody tonight. 
And why? Because we unequally yoked ourselves. Look, I, I hang out with unbelievers. I have friends that are unbelievers, and I try to be salt and light to them, and I fellowship with them, and I'll, I'll eat a meal with them, and I'll, I'll watch, you know, uh, something with them, uh, you know, go to their house and watch a UFC event. I'll do all that stuff, but there's been times where I, I felt, you know, a lot out of place, and the Holy Spirit checked me, and I just withdrew myself from the situation. We've got to be salt and light, but we can't be unequally yoked. Sometimes you can get so close in a relationship with the unbeliever that you begin to learn their ways. The Bible says to avoid the angry man, lest you learn his ways, the violent man. Some of that stuff will get on you. So don't be unequally yoked in business. Don't be unequally yoked in fellowship. You need a balance. You need to spend most of your time with the, with the church, with the saints, with the, your, your brothers and sisters in the Lord who build you up and, and iron sharpens iron. And then a small percentage of the time, you need to go out there on the mission field and make sure you realize it's a mission field and try and let your light shine among the lost. Yes, we've got to interact with them and uh, we've got to be, you know, influencers in their lives that some people have the very real ability to confuse and compromise us if we get connected to them. This verse definitely applies to dating and marriage. Don't be unequally yoked. This thing was tailor-made for dating and marriage. If you're married tonight, this is for you. If you're single and you want to be married, this is for you. Let's see how not being unequally yoked applies to the dating relationship. Someone who is not a believer and you're, and you're dating them, and you're building an intimate relationship with them, I want you to know you are playing a dangerous game of Russian roulette with your life. You say, well, why do you say that? You know, it's, a, you know, it's no big deal. We're just dating. We're just getting to know each other, you know, and all this stuff. Why is it a big deal? Because let me tell you something. Just because they're not saved doesn't mean you can't fall in love with them. Come on, I'm preaching Wednesday night. Some of us have been around the block. Some of us have dated people who were unsaved. And we, we got really connected to them. And then when the Holy Spirit said, they're not for you. They're, they're, they're not wanting to go in the direction I've called you. They're wanting to do things that are immoral for you. And all of a sudden, you're in love with them. You've made a soul tie with them. Now you're in trouble. Dating someone who's not a Christian is a dangerous game to play. You can fall in love with them. You can make a soul tie with them. You can be so connected with them. You love everything about them, their voice, their mannerisms, their, the, the, the way they smell, the way they talk, and you fall in love with them, and you make this soul connection, and then you wind up marrying someone who you shouldn't have, and now you're stuck in a relationship that sucks the spirituality out of your life. Amen. Amen. You know, I see this all the time, people who do what I call missionary dating. Well, there was no Christian boys, and he was really cute. And I can change him. No, you're not going to change him. And he's not going to change. And this goes, oh, well, you know, there was no Christian girls. And she was just, man, she's just so good family. Be a great wife and all this stuff. And, and you know, I can change her. Five, ten, 
20 years later, no change. And you're, I've had friends, close friends, brothers in the Lord who were in marriages with women who were unsaved and it plagued them every day of their life that they laid next to somebody that they looked at them and they loved them and they had built a life with them but at the end they weren't sure they would even be in heaven with them. They raise kids inside and outside the church. One parent comes to church. The other parent doesn't come to church. You know, that guy you were going to change, he don't go to church. And then the kids decide, well, we're going to stay with that. And then they're unchurched. And then you raised a bunch of little heathen that act like the heathen you married. Oh, I'm preaching. I'm going to thin the crowd out tonight. So... No missionary dating. It's not a good idea. It's dangerous. And the best way to avoid it is not to get involved at all. All of us, maybe I've experienced dating someone who's a non-Christian. I know when I was a young man, I did. And I dated a girl who is not a Christian. And, you know, we, we didn't have a physical relationship. We didn't cross those lines. And we were just, you know, we, we liked each other. But, you know, at the end of the relationship was horrific because she slept with all the people that I knew because I wouldn't sleep with her. And I'll never forget that. And I wound up finding out. And it was ugly. But thank God I didn't compromise myself and what was there was revealed. And thank God I, I, I didn't foolishly take that relationship to the altar. Kim is so happy about this. <laughs> because what a mess. And then, like I said, you're going to have friction in your marriage. You're going to have, uh, you know, you're going to have division in your family. Your kids are going to pick, you know, whether they're going to serve God or not, which parent they're going to follow. Just a mess. Okay, so don't be unequally yoked in dating and don't be unequally yoked in marriage. An unbeliever is obviously outside of the realm of wisdom when it comes to a Christian dating. You know, I've admitted that when I was young, I did it. Maybe some of you out there did it. You know, maybe some of you married an unbeliever and they got saved. That, that can happen. But, you know, it's a dangerous thing. So people, you know, are in relationships where one is saved and one isn't. And that's absolutely unbiblical if we go into that relationship the way it is. People marry people with their eyes. They pick with their eyes. And that is a foolish thing to do. Well, let me tell you one thing. Beauty is fleeting. It doesn't last. I don't care how much cream and lotion and revitalizer and everything you rub on it. You can nip it. You can tuck it. You can suck it out. It comes back. Okay, so if you marry with your eyes, you're really foolish. But if you say, well, you know, this person is beautiful, wonderful, they're established, they're a good person, but they're not a Christian, I'm going to marry them anyway. It's a crazy thing to do. Don't do that. But many times in relationships, this happens. Old people were unsaved, and they got married, and then one person comes to Christ, and the other person doesn't. Now you're in a relationship where you're unequally yoked, and you didn't do anything wrong to get there. And this happens a lot too. Like I said, I've been doing this for 30 plus years. I've been around the block. I've seen a lot of things. This happens a lot. And many times, you know, both people, you know, they're compatible. They, they, they you know, they chose each other and, and one got saved and one didn't. If you find yourself 
married to an unbeliever, the New Testament gives some very specific instructions to you for your situation. Listen to 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 16. Very explicit here. But to the rest, I say, Paul's talking about marriage, not the Lord, that is if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, uh, the husband is sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet if the believing one is leaving let him leave. The brother or the sister is under no bondage in such case, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So the basic principle is this. If you're married and one of you gets saved and one doesn't, the saved one shouldn't automatically divorce the unsaved one. Amen. Well, I'm saved and I don't want to be married to this heathen anymore. Too bad. <laughs> the thing is, the marriage covenant is covenant. Whatever condition the, the two people are in, it really doesn't matter. You cut a covenant. You sealed that covenant. You, you, you had a physical union together. You've become one flesh. One of you is now saved. One of you is not. But God says, if they want to be there, if they're, if they're you know, compatible, if you, you have you know, a good marriage, stay together. Why? Because you never know what God will do. Many times I've seen the other person get saved. There's so many testimonies. Many times it happens immediately. Sometimes it takes years. There's people in our congregation here that, that one of them got saved at one church and one got saved at another church on the same Sunday. Isn't that cool? So, but you never know what God's going to do. So if there's peace in the relationship and, and, and they want to be there, you know, don't divorce them. But if they want to go and they're like, I don't want to be married to you. You're one of these fruit loop crazy Christians. I, I didn't sign up for this and they want to go. Paul's saying, let them go. You can let them go and you're not under bondage. So, you know, interesting things to weigh here when we, if we find ourselves in any of these situations. M my wife did get saved finally, so it's a good thing. And, and I'm holding out, so, you know, she can hang in there. But um, we understand that being unequally yoked is not a good idea. Uh, if, if you're in this situation where the person is not saved yet, hang in there and see what the Lord will do. Amen. Uh, verse 14b through 16 lists five comparisons of, you know, what it's like to be unequally yoked. Paul really drives the point home. Here he gives five illustrations. I'll cover them quickly. Righteousness and lawless, the difference between light and darkness, Christ and Baal, believer and unbeliever, the temple of God and idols. So he really drives the point home, and he's trying to make the point that you don't belong with an unbeliever, don't choose an unbeliever, but if you find yourself in a relationship where you become a believer and they still don't believe, if you can hang in there, hang in there because God may do a miracle for you. The last part of verse 16 serves to remind us of something pretty amazing. For we are the temple of the living God. Let's just give God a hand clap of praise for that. Amen. We are the temple of the living God. We house the Holy Spirit. 
we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And I've preached about this a lot of times, and sometimes I say it, and everybody looks at me because we don't really get the depth of it. But the thing is, in the Old Testament, none of the Old Testament saints, none of the, the patriarchs, not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob, not Moses, not David, not any of them were filled with the Holy Spirit residing in them like we are. In the Old Testament, because the cross wasn't there and positionally we weren't righteous, the Holy Spirit couldn't indwell people because we were all inherently sinful. But because of Christ, we're made holy in God's sight, and now we can be filled and indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So we literally become the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's good news today. See, we don't really have any excuse to be weak or to be confused or to be defeated, amen? Christ in us, the hope of glory, amen? Sometimes we just need to be reminded of this. It's a, it serves as a powerful reminder. I am the temple of the living God. When, when I begin to wrap my mind around that and let it affect me, that means I'm not going to do certain things. I'm not going to say certain things. I'm not going to go certain places. I'm not going to watch certain things. Why? Because when I do, the Holy Spirit has a front row seat to what I brought him to. Wow, think of some of the places you brought the Holy Spirit to. Think of some of the movies you forced him to watch. Think about some of the people he had to hang out with. Sobering, isn't it? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But the chapter closes uh, with this uh, quote from the Old Testament. We're going to look at it. It says here, I will dwell among them and and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch the unclean thing, and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're indwelled by God, and then God calls us to come out from the world and be separate. Why? So that, you know, by us refusing the things of the world, we can be filled with the things of the kingdom of God. Amen. You can be a Christian, you can have the, the, the seed of God in you, but yet you can be so worldly that God has to kind of keep you at arm's length. Wow. You say, well, I can do whatever I want, and grace is, you know, but you know what? He's holy. And when we fill ourselves with unholiness, we kind of put, put a lid over our lives. I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm not trying to make you afraid. I'm just saying you and I should want to be holy and to be sincere and to not touch all the filthy things of this world, to let them go. Why? So we can obtain a deeper connection with the Father. Amen. This is basically a loose Old Testament quotation of a couple scriptures, but primarily 2 Samuel 7.14. 2 Samuel 7.14 says, I'll be a father to them and he will be a son to me. Uh, Paul writes this and he, he kind of weaves some of the Old Testament theology in there. Remember, Paul was a scholar. He was filled with all the Old Testament scripture and as the Holy Spirit poured through them, the, the, the scripture came out. Jesus quoted the Old Testament quite a bit too. Uh, the connection here to 2 Samuel is that God promised David that he'd be the heir 
Well, he promised David that his son, Solomon, would build the temple of the Lord. He said to David, you, you can't, David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. What did God say to him? You can't build a temple. You're a bloody man. And some people say, oh, that, that's because, you know, David was a warrior and he killed all those Philistines. I don't think so. I think he was a bloody man because he killed Uriah the Hittite. You see, David killed thousands in combat and God didn't have an issue with it because they were wicked but he killed one righteous man and God said, you're a bloody man. Wow. The wages of sin, there's a cost. So he said, Dave, you can't build the temple for me, but your son will do it. So this second Samuel uh, quote is about, you know, Solomon building the temple and, you know, basically the connection here, I will dwell among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. The temple is how the Old Testament saints interacted with God. It was a place that housed the presence of God. In the New Testament, we don't need a temple. We don't need a church. We don't need a pulpit. We don't need a pastor. We house the presence of God. Amen. So cool. And so the chapter ends there. Paul's covered a lot of ground. He's really laying some thick theology uh, down on the Corinthians here, and he's trying to bring them to spiritual maturity. And you know what? If we allow these principles to leap out of the pages and, and, and touch us, that's exactly what this is going to do. It's going to make us spiritually mature. So let's bow our heads tonight. Father, we thank you for all that you've tucked in these verses, Lord, that you reveal to us by the Holy Spirit. Father, encourage your people tonight. Father, while there's so much turmoil and drama in the world, Lord, I pray for the church, that the church would draw close to you in this hour. Father, we do lift Israel up to you, and we, we call out uh, for the nation of Israel that is under attack. The, the anti-Semitism and the hatred of the Jews has fomented to a level that we haven't seen in decades. It's certainly a sign of your soon coming. But Lord, we pray that you would bring peace in Jerusalem, that you would protect the righteous and the innocent while you rooted out the wicked. God, work in your church that we would be salt and light, that we would be a voice of reason in these times of